please rise as you are able and receive this reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, beginning with verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Good morning. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for bringing us together to sing together, to pray together, to worship together. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and redeemer, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. In his 1963 book, the Reverend Dr. King Jr. published a collection of writings and sermons called Strength to Love. And as you might imagine, every essay and sermon is as brilliant as it is beautifully written. Rooted in his deep knowledge of scripture, his sense of conviction, and his willingness to challenge convention and call out wrongdoing and evil, It is one of my favorite books and critical to how I think about putting my faith into action. In one particular writing, King focuses on a parable in the 11th chapter of Luke, the same chapter where Jesus introduces us to the prayer we often pray here and in churches around the world. Beginning in verse 5, Jesus says to the disciples, suppose you have a friend And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, this particular chapter in Luke is predominantly focused on prayer, but King uses it to highlight the problems in the world of his time. Problems in the world, problems in the church, problems among and within people. King argues that it is, in fact, midnight in the social order, in the political sphere, within the church, and within people. And as only he can do, he shines a light on the people outside, knocking on the door and getting no answer, or being told no to go away. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. The remarkable thing about this is that with just a few changes 
and current events, King's message would describe the world we find ourselves in today. I mean, we only need to look at the headlines. Millions of people plagued with increased anxiety, children returning to school and struggling in the classroom and in relationship with one another, more mass shootings this year than there are days so far this year, the intentionally harmful and cruel way that many people treat our transgender siblings, and thousands of churches leaving our denomination because we dared to extend open arms and open hearts and open minds to the LGBTQ community. Thousands of churches leaving because we have chosen to open the door at midnight to people like me. Sixty years after King published this book, it feels like midnight, and so many are knocking on closed doors. Now, I want to be clear, this is not just about politics. It's also about the workings of the church, and maybe even more important, it's about us. Many of us feel overwhelmed or anxious or just tired. We underestimate the harm that has been caused by COVID, the harms caused by violence, fraying social ties, the fact that when we turn on our phones, the images on the screen and the phone uh, and television rather are, are harmful and painful. Now, in my history with the church, I have found that sermon givers give sermons for one of two reasons. They give a sermon because they believe that the church needs to hear what is being said. Or they give a sermon because it's what the sermon giver needs to hear. Let me just say it one more time. They give sermons for one of two reasons. Because they believe it's something that the church needs to hear or because it's something the sermon giver needs to hear. I won't pretend to know whether you need to hear what I'm about to say, but I hope you'll give forbearance because it is what I need to hear. Many of you know that I have spent most of my career in politics and have loved the work, loved the people, the job, the way it can impact the world around us, but there is no doubt that the last few years have been more difficult than the years prior. I'm sure that's true for people that don't work in politics, too. There were many mornings when I woke up but would keep my eyes closed intentionally just a little bit longer because it slowed down what was going to come at me once the day started. When every decision felt existential, even when they weren't. When the consequences of failure felt horrible, but the consequences of doing nothing felt even worse. And like many of you, too many nights of tossing and turning and waking up and letting the mind wander to all the things that I did wrong, all the things I didn't do well, circling the drain of unhealthy thinking until hopefully we can fall asleep again 
We read books about what tricks we can do to convince our mind to relax. We count backwards from 200. And I don't know about you, but I always get to the last 20 and start having anxiety about not finishing. So I usually start again at 200. At midnight, we feel alone. Despair sinks in. And that is why our scripture today is a powerful one, even though we've all heard the creation story many times. God creates the heavens and the earth. And the scripture scripture says it is formless and dark, and so God creates light and calls it day, and the darkness becomes night. But sandwiched in between those two verses is something really important that often gets missed. That while the earth was dark and formless, before the first sunrise, God was still there. The Spirit of God was roaming above the darkness and the dark, even when there was no light to be found. I am not a pastor. I am not a therapist. I am hesitant to give advice to other people about how to address the midnight hour when I'm going through the midnight hour myself. But I would argue that there are three things in Scripture that can help us. Now, whenever there is a mass shooting or some sort of calamitous event, politicians go online, they go on television, and they offer two words that we've all heard after every shooting. I offer my thoughts and my prayers. Now, thoughts and prayers can be powerful things, but they are meaningless without action by those that have the power to take it. And I would offer today that the three things that help us deal with, move from the midnight hour, are thoughts and prayers and service or action. First, the thought of gratitude. Now, when people hear gratitude, oftentimes it feels a little fluffy. This is not the the gratitude of saying thanks when someone opens the door for you, although you should say thanks when someone opens the door, or cuts you a slightly larger piece of cake than you admit you want. We should thank thank the, the person for all of those things. Gratitude is actually much harder, real gratitude. Diana Butler Bass in her book says, gratitude is not a psychological or political panacea. It doesn't deny pain or overlook injustice because being grateful doesn't actually immediately fix anything. Pain, suffering, injustice, all of these things are real and they will not go away solely because of gratitude. But gratitude invalidates the false narrative that these things are the sum total of our human existence. It is always easier to remember when someone does something harmful to you 
Isn't it amazing how that can stick with you day after day, year after year, even when it wasn't intentional? And how easy it is to forget all the good things that that person has done? CBS just had an interview with Michael J. Fox, who, as I think all of us know, has had Parkinson's for quite some time. And he talks in the interview about how much harder it's getting for him. He said, yeah, I had spinal surgery, I had a tumor on my spine, and although it was benign, it messed up my walking. And then I started to break stuff. I broke this arm, and then I broke this arm, and then this elbow. I broke my face, I broke my hand, and you could feel in the interview, the interviewer starting to feel sorry. The interview took a turn from his supportive family and his career to something a little bit different, and, and, and Fox recognized this. And right in the middle of the interview, almost like a circuit breaker, he says something that I found remarkable. He said, I realized that with gratitude, optimism is sustainable. Because if I can find something to be grateful for, then I can find something to look forward to. And I can carry on. Gratitude is not a passive response. It arises from paying attention to the world around us and acknowledging, even if only to ourselves, the goodness of friends or family or even a stranger. The second is the power of prayer. Now, I love hearing a well-written prayer. I don't know about you, all of my prayers don't always sound so well rehearsed. I have started a prayer and fallen asleep. I have started a prayer and lost my train of thought right in the middle. There may be days where I forget to pray. And so there are these tools that help us. And I'll just tell you three for me. The first is just fake it till you make it. And so on most mornings, I recite to myself a Methodist prayer. New every morning is your love, O great God of light, and all day long you are working for good in the world. There are mornings I wake up, I say this prayer, and I feel nothing. There are mornings where God's love seems distant. But I say it because sometimes, in fact, usually, the prayer really isn't about the person hearing the prayer because God knows the inner workings of our heart. The prayer is for the person giving the prayer. At night, when it's been a long day, I pray. I don't, I don't memorize this one because it's a little longer, but I pull out my phone and lower the screen light, and I pray, Lord, it is night. The night is for stillness. Let us be still in the presence of God. It is night after a long day. This next part is for all of the type A people in the room. I know Foundry has so few, but just in case. It, has been, it is night after a long day. What has been done has been done. What has not been done has not been done. Let it be. 
The night is quiet, and so let the quietness of your peace enfold us all dear to us and all who have no peace. The night heralds the dawn. Let us look expectantly to a new day, new joys, new possibilities. In your name we pray, amen. And then finally, a trick from Brian McLaren, who wrote a book about prayer and gives us helpful words. And his first piece of advice is the most valuable. To begin prayer by using the word here. I am here, God. You are here, God. We are here together, God. Sometimes the prayer can just end there. A reminder that God loves us, cares for us, knows the number of head, number of hairs on our head, which for some of us is easier than others. God extends grace and, serve, and grace to us even when we don't think we deserve it. And then finally comes the service. Have you ever noticed that when you do something good for someone, it makes you feel better? That when you volunteer, sure, you're doing it for the person that's in need of that service, but it makes you feel better. God knows that when we extend grace at a time when grace seems limited, and when we seek to serve at a time where service is undervalued, we feel better about ourselves. Service is not just about justice. Service is a gift to us to remind us of our value, remind us that we can do something to change even the smallest thing in someone else's life. And so King tells us that we are to be shamelessly and audaciously in service to one another. Now, sometimes that means we have to open the door. We're, we're the door openers. We have to heed the call that is given to us and we have to be willing to serve. But more times than not, we need to be shameless and audacious in our door knocking, particularly for those people that have been knocking for a long time. We need to knock for the gay child. We need to knock for the immigrant mother. We need to knock for those that have been the victim of gun violence. We need to knock for those that are left out of the conversation. All of these things are true, but we also have to knock for the person that we disagree with. This is, this is the hard part. It's easy to sit in a pew with somebody that looks like you, sings like you, attends the same church, has the same political affiliation. But we are called to knock for the people even when we disagree. We are called to extend grace and mercy and love to the people that do not believe I should be standing here because I am married to a man, or that the sign of the rainbow in this church and in this context is an abomination. We are called not to agree, not to excuse, but we are called to love them and to serve them. No one said the service thing was easy. 
it's just a critical part of our ministry together. And so finally, one final word about our church. Every once in a while, someone will ask in the pews, why is Foundry still a United Methodist Church? The church has a history of discrimination against LGBTQ people. To be clear, our church and every church has a history of discrimination, not just against LGBTQ people. And my answer to them is, we are called to be United Methodist at Foundry because of this history. It is our call to be an example, to be a door knocker for those that have been left out. It is our call to support the ministry of people like TC. It is our call, it is our call to respond to people that say they love me, but don't believe I should be here. That say they love me, but believe that this church is not a real church because we welcome our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. And I would argue that a love that makes exceptions is not really love at all. It's just a way to make them feel better about their own discrimination against me, against us. And so let's be door knockers. Let's offer our prayers and our gratitude all in the service of God and one another. Amen.